Thank you for listening to audio from First Baptist Church of Flora. If you would like more information about our church, please visit www.fbcflora.org. Amen. Thank you all so much. Appreciate everybody up here helping lead and worship today. Y'all do an outstanding job. Don't they, church? Don't they do a great job? Amen. Amen. <laughs> Nothing wrong with that. That's good. That's good. Thank you all. Thank you all so much. Uh, Dan Hall is the pastor over at Livingston Fellowship. Some of y'all may know Dan, a super guy. Um, got an incredible testimony of making it through some really, really hard uh, times in his life. Uh, maybe I'd like to get him over here to share his testimony one day. Uh, but this past, past week, I happened to listen to a sermon of his early in the week. Unbelievable sermon. He was preaching on... Um, John 20, verse 13, where Mary at the tomb of Jesus, after Jesus had been resurrected, Mary ran into him, and, and you remember she said, they have taken away my Lord, and I don't know where they put him. And so he preached a sermon about five, uh, five he had five points, five things that can make us feel like someone has stolen the Lord from us. And it was just a really cool, I'm not going to preach this sermon today, but it was just really a, a cool sermon. The reason I'm telling you that is because like me, Dan, and he said this in his sermon, um, he, he normally like preaches through a book, a book of the Bible or preaches through a series like I do a lot. But he said this sermon, and this sermon was not in a series. This was a sermon that was just a standalone sermon. He really felt led of God to just pull out of his sermon, uh, series that he was in and do a, just kind of a standalone sermon that God was really heavy, heavily laying on his heart. And God, because he is sovereign, <laughs> Uh, and because he's God, uh, he has the right to do that. To, and, and so that's what he did, uh, because sometimes God knows better than we do what we need, right? And uh, so I will tell you this. Most of y'all, you First Baptist Flora folks, know that um, once a year, I, I'll take some time off a week or so, like this, I did this past November. Go down, I go somewhere, get away for a week of just prayer and planning, trying to pray and ask God for direction for sermons for the upcoming year. Went down to New Orleans, to New Orleans Seminary back in November to do that. And, and so God blessed, praise him for that, and gave me directions to go for, uh, for sermon series and things like that for the year of 2023. And yet now, <laughs> because he's God, he has redirected. And uh, instead of doing a standalone sermon, this is not the sermon series that I thought I was going to be preaching in February. It really felt led over the last several weeks that God has redirected me to go this direction and preach a, ser a, ser a series entitled Finding Freedom. Finding Freedom. And so that's what we're going to talk about. It's not going to be a standalone sermon. Uh, it's going to be a whole series that I feel like the Lord has redirected us. And, um, and so God's changed our plans or my plans, which that's good. <laughs> Because he's God, and apparently he's got something he wants to say to us about the freedom that we can have and the freedom that we do have if we know Christ. This is not a, you know, God bless America freedom kind of series. It's not July the 4th and that kind of thing. Nothing wrong with that. But this is about spiritual freedom and the freedom that we can have in Christ. And today the sermon is entitled, Finding Freedom from Your Secret Sin. Finding Freedom from Your Secret Sin. We're in Joshua chapter 7, Old Testament books. If you go to Joshua, uh, it's, if you need to get, it's over early part of the Old Testament there. If you need to go to your index and find it, that's all right. Maybe not familiar with where it is, that's okay. Go find it. 
find Joshua. If you've got your Bible, I hope you do. If not, if you've got it on your phone, uh, you, that's an easy way to look it up. Joshua chapter 7. And uh, it's verses, I, I don't want to scare you with this. I told you I had a, a, a six-point sermon last week, and it ended up being ten points. Uh, but I'm going to read uh, 26 verses today. I don't normally read a whole chapter, but I think we need to get the whole picture here of what's going on in Joshua chapter uh, 7, verses 1 through 26. And so we're going to read this whole passage. I know I ask you to stand when we read Scripture. I'm going to ask you to do that here in just a minute if you get Joshua chapter 7 there. And we'll stand up. You'll be standing a little bit longer than normal because we're going to read this whole chapter, right? 26 verses. So if you found it, you got it. Now go ahead and stand up and let's, let's read this passage together. And let's just kind of walk through it. Think about what we're reading here. Joshua 7. But the people of Israel broke faith. Broke faith. The people of Israel broke faith in regard to the devoted things for Achan... Listen now, for Achan the son of Carmi, son of Zabdi, son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, took some of the devoted things, and the anger of the Lord burned against the people of Israel. Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai, which is near Beth-Avon, east of Bethel, and said to them, Go up and spy out the land. And the men went up and spied out Ai. And they returned to Joshua and said to him, do not have all the people go up, but let about two or 3,000 men go up and attack Ai. Don't make the whole people toil up there, for they are few. Talking about the men of Ai, that's just a small, small group. And so, verse 4, about 3,000 men went up from there, and they, those 3,000 men, fled before the men of Ai, and the men of Ai killed about 36 of their men and chased them before the gate as far as Shebarim and struck them at the descent and the hearts of the people melted and became as water. Then look, Joshua tore his clothes, fell to the earth on his face before the ark of the Lord until the evening. He and the elders of Israel and they put dust on their heads. That means they were grieving over what had happened. And Joshua said, alas, O Lord God, why have you brought this people over the Jordan at all to give us into the hands of the Amorites and destroy us? Joshua said, why have you brought us here? And now you're going to give us into the hands of our enemies. Doesn't make sense, God. Don't know what's going on here. Would that we have been content to dwell beyond the Jordan. Oh, Lord, what can I say when Israel has turned their backs before their enemies? For the Canaanites, they're the enemies, and all the inhabitants of the land will hear of it. They will hear that we've been defeated, and they will surround us and cut off your name from the earth. And what will you do for your great name? And then the Lord said to Joshua, get up. First time in Scripture I know of God basically saying to somebody, stop praying. <laughs> stop praying. Get up. Why have you fallen on your face? Israel has sinned. They have transgressed my covenant that I commanded them. They've taken some of the devoted things. They have stolen and lied and put them among their own belongings. Therefore, the people of Israel cannot stand before their enemies. They turn their backs before their enemies because they have become devoted for destruction. Look at this statement here. I will be with you no more unless you destroy the devoted things from among you. So get up, consecrate the people, and say, Consecrate yourselves tomorrow, for tomorrow, for thus says the Lord, God of Israel, there are devoted things in your midst, O Israel. You cannot stand before your enemies until you take away the devoted things from among you. In the morning, therefore, you shall be brought near by your tribes, and the tribe that the Lord takes by lot shall come by clans. This will make sense in a minute. And the clan that the Lord takes shall come near by households, and the household that the Lord takes shall come near by man. And he who is taken with the devoted things shall be burned with fire, he and all that he has. 
because he has transgressed the covenant of the Lord and because he has done an outrageous thing in Israel. So Joshua rose up early the next morning and brought Israel near tribe by tribe and the tribe of Judah was taken. And when he br- and he brought near the clans of Judah, and the clans of the Zerah, the clan of the Zerahites was taken. And he brought near the clan of the Zerahites, man by man, and Zabdi was taken. And he brought near his household, man by man, and Achan, the son of Carmi, the son of Zabdi, the son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, was taken. Then Joshua said to Achan, "My son, give glory to the Lord God of Israel and give praise to Him, and tell me now what you have done." Do not hide it from me. And Achan answered Joshua, Truly, I have sinned against the Lord God of Israel, and, did, and this is what I did. When I saw among the spoil a beautiful cloak from Shinar and 200 shekels of silver and a bar of gold weighing 50 shekels, then I coveted them and took them. And see, they are hidden in the earth inside my tent with the silver underneath. So Joshua sent messengers, they ran to the tent, and behold, it was hidden in his tent with the silver underneath. And they took them out of the tent, brought them to Joshua and to all the people of Israel, and they laid them down before the Lord. Now here we go. And Joshua and all Israel with him took Achan, son of Zerah, and the silver, and the cloak, and the bar of gold, and his sons, and daughters, and his oxen, and donkeys, and sheep, and his tent, and all that he had, and they brought them up to the valley of Achor. And Joshua said, Why did you bring trouble on us? The Lord now brings trouble on you today. And all Israel stoned him with stones. They burned them with fire, and stoned them with stones. And they raised over him a great heap of stones that remains to this day then the Lord turned from his burning anger therefore to this day the name of that place is called the valley of Achor may God bless the reading of his word this morning let's pray together help us today Lord by the power of your spirit to hear from you and to respond in obedience in Jesus name amen thanks so much you may be seated back in the 1970s I know I showed my age when I start doing this kind of stuff some of y'all will remember on Sundays there was a, a, a sports show. We didn't have ESPN back then and all that, so it wasn't 24-7 sports channels and stuff like that. So on ABC, every Sunday we had a, uh, a show called ABC Wide World of Sports. How many of y'all old enough to remember that? All right, okay, so there we go. All right, so you remember at the beginning that when, when the show got started, when the thing got started, they would start with this uh, the, the introduction and the the tagline was the thrill of victory and the agony of defeat. Now some of y'all have heard that even though you've never seen the show. But when they would do it, what they would do is the thrill of victory. When they said that, they would be showing all kinds of people in victorious situations. I mean, they'd show boxers that would knock somebody out. They'd show some track star, you know, doing a high jump. They'd show some figure skater doing this perfect uh, spinning thingy thingy that they do. Or, you know, all, but then, so th- there would be different people. But then when they said the agony of defeat, it was the same bro every time, every week. And his name was Vinko Bogataj. Vinko Bogataj. And he was a skier from Yugoslavia. A Yugoslavian ski jumper, where, where they get up at the way up at the top of that ramp and they come down, they hit it, and you know they, you know, and they do that. And they, like that. Y'all didn't know I knew how to do that. I, that's one of the things I do on the side is I do ski jumping. And I, so, um, but and but this dude, they showed him every week for years. 
when he got to the end of the ramp, he just like, he just fell over. He was, came flying down the ramp. It was icy that day. And he hit the end of the ramp, fell off the end of the ramp. I mean, skis going everywhere, tumbling through. He hit the ground, his head flopping around. You thought the guy was dead. I really thought, but, you know, I thought he, he dies every week. And, but it, it, he ended up, truthfully, he ended up only having a concussion. But they showed him every day, every week, Vinko Bogataj. So if we're talking about the thrill of victory, you back up to Joshua chapter 6. And you see the thrill of victory. That's the chapter of victory. Joshua chapter 6, don't have time because I read 26 verses. I'm not going to go read chapter, 20, uh, chapter 6. But chapter 6 is, is Joshua and the people defeating the city of Jericho. Remember the song, Joshua fit the battle of Jericho. That's where God told them, I'm going to give you that city. Go march around it six times, six days in a row. Uh, you march around it six days in a row. Then on the seventh day, you march around it. And when you do it, I'm going to tell you, you holler, you blow the trumpets, the walls are going to fall down, and you get to go in and take the city. It'll be yours. I'm going to show you how powerful and mighty I am. And that's what they did. And Joshua chapter 6 was this incredible victory for the people of God. And what it showed, it showed, that their, it showed their faith in God and in his leaders. Because Joshua was their leader. And he's the one who God said, go tell the people to do this. And so that's what he did. And the people had faith in God and they had faith in their leader. They were obedient to what God had told them to do, even though it sounded kind of strange. I mean, we're just going to go out there and walk around this city and we're going to holler and the walls are going to fall down. Okay, God, we're going to trust you, but we're going to be obedient to do that, and they did. It took courage for them to do this because they were very, very vulnerable to attack. They're out there walking around, no weapons, no army. They're just walking around. Well, the people up on top of the wall could have gotten their bows and arrows and shot at them. They could have thrown rocks on top of them. So it took a lot of courage to just go out there and do this when God said do it. It took endurance. You got to do it for seven days in a row here. You got to go out there every day and then trust that if they would do what Joshua, their leader, told them to do because God had told him to tell them to do this, then God was going to do what he said he was going to do, and he did. And the walls fell down, and they went and took over the city. It was incredible. Just God said, look at, look at who I am. And then you flip the page and go to Joshua chapter 7, and you see the agony of defeat. And it was a horrendous defeat. How God's people... This was the only place that we read in Scripture of them suffering a loss in the land of Canaan. This is the only place that we can see in Scripture where there is recorded the loss of life at the hands of the Canaanites. It was terrible. And this is why it was such a horrible tragedy. If you will look at Joshua 6 and flip back and look at verses 18 and 19, this is what God said to them. This is what He said. When you take Jericho, this is what? But you... Keep yourselves from the things devoted to destruction. I'm going to tell you what those are in just a minute. Lest when you have devoted them, you take any of the devoted things and you make the camp of Israel a thing for destruction and you bring trouble upon it. But all the silver and gold and every vessel of bronze and iron are holy to the Lord and they shall go into the treasury of the Lord. God had made it abundantly clear to Joshua, to the leader of the people, tell them what's, what's supposed to happen here. When you go in and I give you the city, God says, I'm going to give you the city, but you cannot, you must not, take anything out of that city. 
You don't get to keep any souvenirs. I mean, they, the city was theirs. Everything that was there, everything in there was theirs. But you don't get to keep any of it. Don't take any of the devoted. What is it, what, John, what is devoted things? The reason they call them the devoted things is because those things that God said, don't bring them out of that city, but burn it. Those things were devoted to the horrible worship of the Canaanite idols. And so God was saying to them, I don't want any of that junk among my people. So don't bring that stuff out. Don't care how good it looks. You don't bring it out. You, that stuff's got to stay there. Now the silver and gold, the valuable stuff, you bring that out as a first fruit offering to the Lord to show gratitude for what He's done. But don't bring that stuff out. God clearly said don't do that. There's a guy named Achan there that we read about in Joshua chapter 7 that he completely ignored Joshua. God's spokesman, God's leader for those people, and Joshua ignored him. When Joshua said, this is what God said for us to do, Joshua, Achan says, no, I'm going to ignore that. He ignored Joshua. He completely disobeyed God's command, and he completely disregarded the warnings of the consequences that would happen. And then look at, and, and when he did that, when he, this is so important, when he did that, everybody suffered. Do you hear me? When he did that, everybody suffered. Look, look back at chapter 7, verse 1. But the people of Israel broke faith. Now, wait a minute, John. No, 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 they didn't. Achan did. No. When Achan did, everybody did. Well, look at the bottom of verse, verse 1, the last part. And the anger of the Lord burned against the people of Israel. They must have made a mistake there because the anger of the Lord burned against Achan, not the people of it. No. When he sinned, it affected everybody. You see, that's a big difference between Old Testament stuff, their understanding of connections and relationships among the people of God, and us. They understood that they were connected, and what, what I did affected, affects you, and what you do affects me. We're, we're you know, we've got this, 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 this individual, individualism. Like, I'm my own man. What I do is my business. This rugged individualism. I'm, I'm a self-made man, or whatever. But when one man chose to deliberately disobey God, it affected everybody. Achan, look at, this is what Achan did. Look at verse 21. Achan said, when I saw, I coveted, and I took. I saw the stuff. I saw, what did, what did he see there? He said, I saw that beautiful cloak. I saw all that silver. I saw that bar of gold. I saw it. I coveted it. In other words, I knew it wasn't mine, but I sure did want it. So I took it. There's some other people in the Bible that did the same thing. Remember a girl named Eve? <laughs> fruit 
I saw it. Man, that looks good. I coveted it. I know God said it's not, I can't have it, but boy, I sure do want it. And she took it. Adam took it. They took it. And guess what? Now you and I are all cursed with sin because of that. David, King David, man after God's own heart, walking around up on his balcony while his guys are out fighting the battle, fighting the war. The, he's up on the balcony of his palace, looking down, sees a beautiful woman, no clothes on, taking a bath. He saw he coveted, I want her, she doesn't belong to me, she belongs to somebody else, but I want her. So he took her. And you know the rest of that story, and all the pain and agony that happened. Her husband got killed, the baby that, that was conceived by her and David was died. I mean, the sword never left David's household after that. That's, that's what happens. Because, and God did not take this sin lightly of Achan's sin. It was a high-handed, willful, deliberate defiance of the command of God. Achan knew what he was doing was wrong, but he did it anyway. It was serious. It was selfish. And the results were sickening. The results of one man's sin was that, there, that 36 graves got dug. Because one man saw, coveted, and took. And 36 men lost their lives. 36 graves were dug. 36 families screamed out in agony and grief because their husband or their father or their son or their brother was laying dead on a battlefield because one man saw, coveted, and took and tried to hide it. So the application for this message is this. The secret sin will wreak destruction in so many lives. Secret sin will wreak destruction in so many lives. You know, we all got baggage, don't we? We all got baggage in our lives. I mean, some baggage is, it's, we can't help it. Some of our baggage is just because the, maybe the family we grew up in, you know, some of the stuff we dealt with with childhood, trauma that we've been through, stuff like that. We, we all tote some kind of baggage. You brought some kind of baggage into this place today. And some of it is just because of our environment that we've lived in or grown up in and things like that. But some of our baggage is because of stuff we have done. Some of the baggage that we bring is because we have given into sin. Now, you know, we... <laughs> We feel pretty good about the big sins. You know what I'm saying? We feel pretty good about the big sins. Man, I ain't going to kill anybody. You know, I feel pretty good. I'm not going to kill anybody. I'm not going to steal anything. I ain't going to be worshiping some kind of weird idol or something. I mean, I'm sitting in church today, John, so I'm doing pretty good, you know, with the big stuff. I feel pretty good about that. But what about this one? What about this one? That little hidden sin, that little one. That thing that we kind of keep to ourselves. That thing that we, uh, we don't want anybody to know about it. That thing that we, we hope nobody finds out about it. 
There's a lot of things it could be. There's a whole lot of things it could be. One thing it could be, it could be porn. That's a huge problem. A lot of men struggle with it. A growing number of women struggle with it. We don't want anybody to find out about it, though. It could be that. It could be some unethical, illegal business thing that we got going on on the side because we see something, we've coveted something, now we're going after it, because, and we know it's not right. We know we're breaking some laws. We know we're, do, not, we know we're cheating some folks out of We know it might be some problem with alcohol or drugs that's gotten out of control. It, 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 it could be the way that you treat your spouse or the way that you treat your kids. And we look at you and go, man, they got a wonderful marriage. They just want, and, and yet secretly... But whatever it is, it's that thing that we try to hide from view. It's that thing that we, that we, that, that we are getting away with so far. So far, so far we've been able to cover our tracks. So far, we've been able to justify our actions. So far, we've been able to keep up appearances and make it look like everything's fine. Everything's fine. Don't need to ask any questions. Don't need to. Everything's fine. So far, we've been able to do that. But there are four things that we need to know about secret sin. Number one, you need to know this. It's going to weigh you down. It's going to weigh you down. Imagine the weight. One, I'll just tell you all, this week, man, studying this just wore me out. You talk, it just wore me out. Because you, you put yourself in Aiken's position. Can you imagine? And I, Yes, you can. If you've got secret sin, you know what I'm talking about. The, the weight that was on Aiken's shoulders as he considered what he had done and what his sin had caused. His sin had caused tremendous pain to so many people. His sin had cost the lives of men who were just trying to do the right thing. His sin had endangered his own family. His sin brought tremendous grief and confusion to Joshua, the leader of the people. You heard what Joshua said when he started crying out to God. He said, God, why is this happening? God, you brought us out here and now you're going to let the enemies take over? God, what is going on? And it's all because of one man. So as long as we keep that sin secret, as long as we keep it secret, I want to tell you something, that weight's going to grow heavier and heavier and heavier. It's going to get heavier and heavier. The weight of fear, even now. You know, I, I'm, I don't apologize if you're under conviction right now. I don't apologize if right now you're afraid. I don't apologize because the weight of that fear of what if, what if somebody finds out? What, what, if, what if it comes out? What if 
the weight of that fear just gets heavier and heavier. The weight of regret. Why did I ever go there? Why did I ever do that? Why did I ever give in to that? The, way, the weight of, of guilt. And one more thing that gets really, really heavy. The weight of the truth of this verse of Scripture. Numbers chapter 32, verse 23. Numbers 32, 23. The weight of that Scripture. You need to write that Scripture over Achan's life and over your secret sin. Because number thir Numbers 32, 23 says this. Be sure, be sure your sin will find you out. The weight of that truth, that if we try to keep our sin secret, if we try to hold on to this stuff over here, you can be sure, my friend, and I'll get to that in just a minute, you can be sure that your sin is going to find you out, and that's a heavy weight to keep bearing. Your secret sin is going to weigh you down. Your secret sin is going to slow you down. Last year, we were coming out of the Dominican Republic. Y'all remember praying for us when we went to the mission trip last year. Our travel plans were so messed up. I mean, planes got canceled, flights got canceled, a bunch of us, a few of us ended up in New York City while the rest of everybody was somewhere else and we were trying to get the, and then, so once we finally got to Dominica, oh man, yes, praise God, we got there and people got saved, it was awesome, and we thought, okay, no problems coming back, same thing coming back. I mean, just craziness coming back. So we flew back in and flew into Charlotte, North Carolina. And because we had gotten delayed down in, in Santa Domingo, uh, the flight was just tight, tight, tight. Our schedule was just right on top of it. We jumped off the plane, went running up to the security uh, checkpoint thing, trying to get through there. You're standing there and trying to, you know you can't break in front of people. He's just, come on, come on, come on. You're looking at the watch clock, and you're looking at the flight, and you know. And so I, I finally got through the the security thing, and y'all know I always have my backpack with me unless I forget it somewhere. And, and so I've always got my, and so as soon as I got through the security thing, got my backpack, I turned and handed it to my sister-in-law, and I said, I got to go. And some of y'all remember O.J. Simpson running through the airport of the Hertz uh, commercial, and that's what I, I did in O.J. Simpson from one end of that airport, to, and everybody else did too once they got through uh, security. But I got rid of that backpack because I wanted to be able to run as fast as I could to try to get there because I wanted to get home so badly. I was so ready to get home. And we made it. But I had to get rid of that weight that was on my shoulders to be able to run down there to that gate. And we made our flight. The Bible tells us in Hebrews chapter 12, Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, one of our memory verses is that the Christian life is not a sprint from one end of an airport to the other. It's a lifelong, long-distance marathon. But you still got to get rid of the weight while you're running that race. And Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 says, in the, another translation says, So then, with endurance, let's run the race that is laid out in front of us, since we have such a great cloud of witnesses around us. And then it says this, Let's throw off any extra baggage, and let's get rid of the sin that trips us up. Because if you don't, you're just going to keep getting slowed down in your spiritual life. You're just going to keep getting slowed down. The longer you hold on to your secret sin, the slower your spiritual life becomes. What do you even mean by that, John? Well, like this. Your prayer life becomes very slow. 
Because as long as you're harboring sin, we don't like to think about this. And I don't think we really believe this is the case because we take sin so flippantly and so lightly. But as long as you're holding on to that sin, your prayers aren't going any higher than this ceiling. So you mamas that are praying for your sweet little babies, if you're holding on to secret sin and you're not getting rid of that sin in your life, your prayer for your kids is not going anywhere. You daddies, you grandparents praying for those grandkids that you love so much, oh, I just pray for them all the time, but you got secret sin in your life, so your prayer's not going anywhere. So your prayer life gets slowed down. Our involvement in church slows down. I see this all the time. I've seen this all the time as a pastor. That when people start getting tangled up in their secret sin, they pull away from the church. You know why? Because some of you are sitting here today wishing, why did I come to church today to hear this sermon? I wish I, didn't, I, wish I wasn't here today to hear this one because you don't want to come to church when you got sin in your life because you get under conviction and it don't feel good. And so you say, well, you know, I've, I've just gotten busy, man. You know, I've just work stuff and you know we just got things oh, we'll be back I'll be back I'll be back but you don't want to be here so our involvement in church slows down our giving to the church slows down people stop giving their tithes and offerings why because they're spending their money on themselves than on the things that are really important given to the Lord our concern for other people slows down because we're more concerned about ourselves and our passions and our lusts and our desires and our sin than we are about the people around us. And our attention to the Word of God slows down for sure. You know why? Because every time you read this, man, when I was in a place in my life and struggling with some junk in my life, every time I opened the Bible up, it seemed like a verse just shot an arrow into my heart. God said, when are you going to deal with that? When are you going to take care of that? And I, I, got, I didn't want to open the Bible up. Your secret sin is going to slow you down. It's going to weigh you down. It's going to slow you down. And then it's going to shut you down. Your secret sin is going to, eventually, it's not going to just slow you down. It's going to take you out of the race completely. It will take you out of the race completely. Back to Hebrews chapter 12 in the NIV. I memorized it in the NIV years ago and says, Therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin which so easily entangles us and let us run with perseverance the race that is marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus. You see, that word tells us there that we're supposed to throw off everything that hinders us. But when we're holding on to this secret sin, we're hanging on to the stuff that hinders us. And it shuts us down. We can't run the race. It says that we're supposed to get rid of the sin that so easily entangles us, but we keep hanging on to the sin. That we keep saying, I want to stay tangled up in it. I want this to keep getting tangled up around my feet where I can't run the race. It says that we're supposed to fix our eyes on Jesus, but when we're in sin, we're fixing our eyes on ourselves and our lust and our passions and our desires. And it shuts us down and will take you completely out of the race. Why? Because it's not going to stay secret. It's not going to stay secret. <laughs> I'm about to wrap this thing up. Years ago when I was on staff at First Baptist Jackson in student ministry down there, 
I took my intern with me and we went down to Tampa, Florida to a conference. He had never flown before. And so we flew from Jackson down there and then coming back, we went to the Tampa airport to get ready to fly home. Now this was in the days before 9-11. And so back then the security requirements were much, uh, not, not nearly as stringent as they are now. Didn't have quite the stuff that you have to go through. So in other words, when you get to the airport, you would walk up to the ticket counter because you didn't have the kiosk and stuff like that. You didn't have your cell phone with your, your ticket on it and stuff like that. You had to go up to the counter, tell it, here, I'm, I need to get my ticket. And so the lady would type it in and she'd hand you a paper ticket and you'd go down to the gate. And so when you get up to the counter, they would ask you questions. They would do some security questions right there. And one of the questions they would always ask you is something to this effect. They would say something like this. Since you have come into the airport, has anyone given you anything that does not belong to you? Has anyone given you anything that does not belong to you since you came into the airport? Now, the answer that you're supposed to give to that question is no. Okay? That's the correct answer. But when yahoos that have never flown before think that it's cute, this college student looked at the ticket lady and said, nothing but this bomb. He literally said that. He really said those words to her. Has anybody given you anything? Nothing, just this bomb. I mean, it's like, I wanted to knock him out. I mean, I just wanted to lay him out. And so... <laughs> the lady's typing on her little computer thingy and when he said that she stopped and she looked up at me and then she looked at him and I went ma'am listen he's just stupid okay I mean <laughs> he is just stupid he and I told her I said listen he has never flown before so he has no idea what he just did he just doesn't know and he's looking at me and like what I said what and so she said, young man, I'm going to ask you the question one more time. And so she did. And he said, no, nothing. And she said, let me tell you, if I'd followed protocol, you'd be, uh, you'd be on your way to jail right now. But I'm going to let you go. You know, those TSA agents and their job is to try to find stuff that ain't supposed to be there. And now it's gotten a lot more stringent. You go through all the lines and all that kind of stuff. It's a hassle. It takes time and stuff like that. But they're trying to keep you safe, and they're trying to keep other people safe. And if they find something in your luggage that ain't supposed to be there, you're going to be in trouble. And that's what their job is. They do their best to try to find stuff that hijackers are trying to hide from view. But they are just humans, and sometimes they're going to miss those things. But God will never miss anything that we try to hide in our lives. God's not going to miss it. It's not going to stay secret. He's not going to miss it. Galatians chapter 6 verse 7 says, Do not be deceived, my friends. God is not mocked. The Amplified Version says, He will not allow Himself to be ridiculed, nor treated with contempt, nor allow His precepts to be scornfully set aside. For whatever a man sows, that and that only is what he will reap. God ain't going to be mocked. You think you're hiding your sin. God's not going to be mocked. He's not going to let it stay secret. So let me wrap this thing up.
What happened to Achan was horrendous, but it was the right thing. But there's a verse in the Bible, there's several places in the Bible that says this. God is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, and he will forgive your iniquities and your transgressions. Even when, I'll say this, even when Achan was found out, when his secret sin was displayed to everybody, even in that, there was some slowness about how God dealt with it. I mean, he's God. As soon as Achan picked up that, that silver, that gold, God could have, bam, he's gone, he's toast. You know, he could have done that. He didn't. He told Joshua, he said, this is what you're going to do. You're going to get all the people together. You're going to call them out by, clan, uh, by tribes. You're going to call them out by clans. And you're going to call them out by households or families. And then you're going to call the person out. Four steps. Four steps. First step. Called the tribe out. Judah! Tribe of Judah! All the people in the tribe of Judah stood up, including Achan. Zerah! Well, some of the people that were in the tribe that were, in, were not in the clan of Zerah went, not our clan. All the clan of Zerah stayed standing. Zabdi! The family of Zabdi. I'm not in that family. They got to sit down, but Zabdi's family had to keep standing. And Achan standing there with his family. And finally the last lot was pulled. Achan. Everybody else left. Except Achan and his family. And Joshua and Achan. Why? Why? Why'd you bring this on us, man? Why did you bring this on us? Megan said, I, I did. I did. I saw it. I, I, I coveted and I took it. I, I, I did it. I did it. Here's what I believe. And there's some other folks that believe this. I think there's two reasons why God did that process. One was to show everybody standing there to show all of the people the seriousness of sin. They all had to stand there while they watched this process of elimination happening. So everybody had to see it and everybody had to understand this is serious business. They have called all of us out here for this. They have called us all out here. But here's another reason. I think God was given Achan time. I just have to believe, and maybe I'm wrong. I could be wrong. Because this was serious business. And God had already said, if y'all take this stuff, you're going to die. If you take this stuff, you're going to die. So he'd already said that. So I know he had to keep his word. But there's just a part of me that feels like that as, 
as God started calling, Judah and the tribe stood up, uh, the, the tribe stood up, and Zerah and the clan. I just have to believe that in those first three steps of that process, if at any point in that process Achan had finally, as he heard the names getting called, and it gets closer and closer and closer to him, I just wonder if at some point if he'd go, stop, stop, it's me. I did it. I did it. I did it. I just have to believe that maybe in that moment, that maybe forgiveness, I know forgiveness would have been granted. Maybe Achan wouldn't even have lost his life. Maybe God would have said, okay, now, go get this stuff, take it back out of the camp like I told you to, and go burn that stuff and be restored and learn from this and see what could have happened to you. But because I'm a God of grace and because I'm a God of mercy, I'm going to give you another shot. But I don't know if that's what was going on in Joshua 7, but I will straight up tell you, that's what's going on today. In this room today. The grace is being extended today. And if this is you, then you can bring this right here today. You can bring it up here today. And you can leave it. And you can confess and you can repent. And God can say, let's go. I'll also say this. It may be that whatever's in this bag for you may be something that you need somebody else to help you deal with down the road. That's what the church does. We ain't going to crucify you. We're not going to judge you. We're not going to ostracize you. If you bring brokenness and repentance to this altar and you bring that sin to this altar, it's, God says it's forgiven, it's cleansed. Confess it, it's gone. As far as the east is from the west, it's gone. That exists today for every person in this place today, every person that's watching this service today. So let's go to the Lord in prayer. So help us today, Lord. God, we need freedom. There may be somebody here today, God, it is, this is their day of freedom. This is the day of freedom for them. They ain't gonna, they're not gonna, they ain't gonna carry it anymore. It's done. It's done. They're bringing it. They're bringing the sin. It's done. Might be painful to have to reveal it. Might be painful to have to deal with it, but it's done. And start the process today of restoration. So I pray that that'll happen. If it needs to happen in this place today, it probably does. So help us today, Lord. You're good, you're faithful, you're just, you're awesome. So help us today to do what we need to do. Get this junk out of our lives and find freedom that found, is found only in Christ. Pray these things in his name.